0: To Palace Confidential, your home for all the latest and breaking royal news and views, right here on Mail Plus. Joining me today by the powers of Zoom are the Daily Mail's Royal Editor Rebecca English, Saturday Diary Editor Richard Eden, and Royal Biographer Angela Levin. Here's what you've got to look forward to today. Well, it might be an excuse to sing Happy Birthday without washing your hands. Sophie, the Countess of Wessex, celebrated her birthday this week, lockdown style. Plus, it's the Duchy versus the people. We look at how a royal loophole has them up in arms in Cornwall. And Heartbreak Harry, we discuss the latest revelations from a friend of our transatlantic royals. But first, well, the ongoing court case between Meghan Markle and the Mail on Sunday newspaper resumed this week with some twists and turns. Rebecca, what can you tell us?
1: Well, yeah, as you know, the Duchess of Sussex is taking the mail on Sunday to court over a letter she wrote to her estranged father, which the newspaper published and extracts from that she bela- believes should have remained private. Now, what's happened this week is she has gone to the High Court to seek what's known as a summary judgment, which basically involves asking a judge to rule in her favour without going to trial. Now, that's something the newspaper is very vigorously defending, saying there are aspects of the evidence that need to be tested properly in court. But what's happened over this two day hearing is there have been some really interesting revelations, including Thomas Markle's witness statement in which he lays bare his frustration at what he his, and his anger at what he believes is his daughter's behavior towards him and also there's the emergence of the palace four as they've been dubbed by the court and this is a group of former employees of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex who have very reluctantly said they are willing to give evidence independently not for either side to the court in any subsequent hearings because they believe they do have evidence that will shed light on whether Megan received any official help, uh, if, if any at all, on that letter, and this goes to the heart of the Mail on Sunday's defence, which is arguing that Megan intended at some way in the future, in somewhere in the future, for that letter to become public. Now the hearing is finished, and we're waiting to hear the judge's. Um, findings on it in the next kind of days and weeks but if he does rule against Meghan and says that it does go to trial she will face the very unedifying prospect in the autumn of having to face her father in the high court in London.
0: Well sticking with Megan and Harry at the moment Rebecca and his friend Prince Harry's friend Tom Bradbury has stated that he's heartbroken at leaving the royal family. What, what do you make of this?
1: Well, as you know, Bradby was a friend of both William and Harry and um, cooperated with them on several documentaries over the years, obviously including the quite controversial 2019 documentary in Africa in which Meghan very memorably said she was very upset that no one had asked her if she was okay, And Harry effectively confirmed the rumours that we'd all been writing for a long while, that there were big tensions with his brother, Um, He went on a chat show to publicise a fictional book he's written, um, but was obviously quite happy to talk about it. Um, He doesn't really have any relations with William now, so I think this is very much coming from Harry's point of view. But he he says that Harry is heartbroken over the rift with his family, and there's a lot of pain on both sides at the moment. Um, Someone I spoke to last week when I was discussing the issue with said to me, look, if this is true, that's all well and good. But this is something that Harry really should be saying, reaching out and telling his family personally, not making it public through a journalist. But of course, it's not clear how much um, he cooperated with Bradbury in saying this.
0: Angela, you've spoken to Prince Harry one-on-one. Do you think that Tom Bradbury's right about this supposed heartbreak he's harboring?
2: Well, I always believe that it's um, the wrong thing for journalists to try and get too pally with the Royals, because, You can be friendly, but not friends. And if they ask things of you, I think it's very awkward for him to be used in that way. But I do think that he would be very upset. He loves family life. He was always the one, he told me, who tried to. Um, brush over disputes between them all. Um, He's very fond of his cousins, which William can sort of take or leave. And I think that he would miss it hugely. He told me he adored the Queen, he admired her hugely, which is why he didn't leave the royal family earlier, because he wanted to support her. He and William, although they're very different personalities, were incredibly close. So he must be grieving for them, because unlike Meghan, who's done very well, there and is blooming. Um, He hasn't found a a place where he can say is his, you know, I don't think it's worked for him in terms of finding outlets that are satisfying. So you, you yearn for your family.
0: We were talking not that long ago on this show about how happy Harry is in his new sort of SoCal California lifestyle. And now we hear this, which version do you think is closer to the truth?
3: Yes, it's not clear from Tom Bradby's comments whether he's spoken to Prince Harry or whether this is just his opinion. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, I've spoken to old friends of Harry and it does seem to be clear that he is happy in his new situation. You know, he's happy with his wife, with his son, you know, in a lovely place and he's adjusting to the new lifestyle. Um, But what Bradby seems to be right, I'm sure, is that he's... He is sad about the situation with his family. I mean, we kind of, we all know that because he was so sad um, to lose his military links. He made clear in that speech before he left um, Britain that he was very disappointed with the whole situation. Um, So I think Bradby was probably articulating what, you know, a lot of people already know.
0: Let's move on to Prince William now. He's been speaking about the trauma he often faced as a helicopter pilot. Rebecca, what, what can you tell us about this?
1: Yeah, so last week William undertook a one of his regular video calls with frontline staff, and he was speaking to them about um, mental health and the importance of retaining their mental health in this very difficult period in our national life. And during the course of that, he really quite candidly and emotionally opened up about his own experiences as an air ambulance pilot and how he dealt with the trauma of seeing loss of life on a you know daily or weekly basis. And he made really clear that... He found that quite difficult and sometimes it took him to quite a dark place um, and it did have an effect on his family life. And he was saying to them, you know, it was bad for me, but obviously... Uh, for you who are facing, seeing uh, bereavement in, in an unprecedented way, it's really important for you to continue to reach out, to be really aware of your mental health and be aware there are services that can help you if you need it. He doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve in the way, for example, his, his younger brother Prince Harry does. Uh, and I think these calls do give him an opportunity to speak from real personal experience um, in a way that he feels comfortable with I don't think he would feel uh feel comfortable with sitting doing a kind of big open heart interview but you know when he's talking to people who are facing the same issues that he has experience of I think he can look them in the eye and speak to them on a on a really one-to-one level.
0: Richard how do you think this uh from William has been received?
3: I think it's been received very well and he really will have struck a chord across the country because Obviously, there's so many people going through difficult times at the moment with the pandemic. It's not just frontline workers, emergency workers of the type that William was um, discussing it with. But, you know, everyone who's, who's lost people or who's suffered illness. I mean, my goodness, just watching the television news in the evening can leave you feeling very low. So I think it is kind of reassuring and he's providing a very... Useful role in in talking this way.
0: Angela, you've been following the Royal Family for a little while now, shall we say. Um, And their their attitude to opening up on these
2: emotional topics has changed so much. Has that surprised you over the years? No, I've watched it happen, really. It's been fascinating. I think it began when William was rather disappointed that he was go- he was an heir to the throne because he wanted to have a bit of a private life and i think that he and harry decided they wanted to what they what harry said to me was make a difference and they didn't want just to go and cut ribbon and be a name on the top of um, a piece of paper of a charity, you know, note paper. Um, they wanted to do something really worthwhile. And with Kate there, they really thought very hard and decided that they wanted to help people. And it came out with the um, mental health. Um, a campaign that they did and I think it is very important that that way they feel they're really achieving something. Um, Kate's got this, you know, children, tiny children, the first five years to make sure that they are looked after and cared for, helping mums. It's a huge um, different way of dealing with things. The, the, the sad side of it is that lots of charities will lose them because they can't do everything, but on the positive front, they really know what they're talking about, they study it, they research it, and they can make some very, very helpful comments and responses to people in trouble. What do you think the Queen thinks
0: of this shift? Because I, I think we've heard more from these young royals in the last five years than we've ever heard the Queen speak personally on anything
1: really.
2: I think she would be relieved and delighted because the monarchy for her is an essential part of her life and she wants to see that it's solid and will move on and there'll be heirs and then another heir and another heir. And they are now really doing things that are for the people and with the people. And I think that she couldn't wish for anything more. I think she's hugely relieved. Well, now to a royal story making at least one front page this week, the proposed
0: changes to the way that leaseholds are drawn up in the UK. It's supposed to be good news if you're a leaseholder, but possibly not if your landlord happens to be Prince Charles. The Labour peer, Lord Barclay, is saying that the residents of the Duchy of Cornwall are worried that they won't get these new leasehold rights and that it isn't a level playing field.
3: I'm a member of the House of Lords and I live in the Isles of Scilly in my wife's house and... um... I sort of feel that I have an obligation to reflect the concern that's been expressed to me by many people about the Duchy being able to up the ground rent, up the rents, lengthen or shorten leases, or even in extremis, kick them out of the islands completely. Because, of course, nobody's going to speak out against their landlord or, or their boss, if it's going to mean that they can't live here any longer. And I think that's a very unfair situation to put people in.
4: Well, we asked royal finance expert David McClure to explain more. The legislation will affect all freeholders in Britain, with three major exceptions, which happen to be the three royal estates of the Crown Estate, the Queen's Duchy of Lancaster, and Prince Charles's Duchy of Cornwall. The Crown Estate the two duchies, have said that, you know, they'll abide by the spirit of the law, and even though, you know, they're not governed by it, overall they will, you know, give leaseholders basically the same permission they would have if they were not in the duchy, with three exceptions. First of all, if the property isn't uh, right next to a palace, if the property isn't of some historic importance, or if the property isn't of something of scenic natural beauty, now, the real problem with the new legislation is that it probably doesn't apply to the Scilly Isles, where the major owner of the property of all the land in the Scilly Isles is Prince Charles's Duchy of Cornwall. Now, in the last 10 years or so, there have been many complaints from tenants saying, oh, the rents are too high, or it's too difficult for to us to get an extension of the lease, or it's impossible for us to buy up the freehold. And that means their property is much less valuable. And it should be remembered that last year the duchy made 22 million pounds in profit, which all goes to Prince Charles. And in the last 20 years, profits have almost gone up by 10 million pounds. So, you know, put crudely, the duchy of Cornwall is Charles's cash cow. Some tenants in the Silly Isles say the duchy of Cornwall is doing this purely to make money. You know, they want high, high rents. They want high yields, and, you know, it is purely a money-spinning operation. The duchy, for their part, say, no, 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 all we're trying to do is to protect the natural environment. You would have thought that, it, you know, if the bill is unfair to certain people, you know, say on the Silly Isles, then when the bill goes through Parliament, a few MPs might kick a cup of fuss about it and try and change the legislation. The problem is, if precedent is anything to go by, it's likely to get an easy ride. The reason for that is that, any legislation or anything affecting the Queen, you know, according to the laws of procedure in the House of Commons, you cannot criticize the Queen or even senior members of the royal family. So, in practice, it's very unlikely that there will be detailed scrutiny of the royal estates if and when this legislation passes through Parliament. Personally, I fail to understand why a leaseholder in the beautiful Isles of Scilly shouldn't have exactly the same rights as a leaseholder in, I don't know, the beautiful Isle of Wight or in the Isle of Dogs in terms of being able to extend their lease or buy a freehold. You know, surely it's unfair that one group is being disadvantaged. And surely it's time that we brought all these affairs into the 21st
3: century.
0: Richard, housing is obviously quite a big issue and a
3: problem in the UK. It's not really a good look, this, is it? I think... This is an absolutely fascinating story. It's one of those stories that sounds really sort of dry, you know, leasehold, but actually it really sort of gets to the heart of the monarchy. Um, It reminds me of the row when Tony Blair abolished the hereditary peers, or most of them, and the royal family actually started to get very nervous because they thought, wait a minute, if we're abolishing the right of someone to inherit a seat in the House of Lords because of an accident of birth, you know, what repercussions could this have for the monarchy? And it's the same with this that it's our Conservative government is bringing quite a radical reform, actually, to reform a system which has been with us since the Middle Ages. It was actually brought in um, for, to help fund the Crusades by the barons who needed some new money, and it's stayed ever since. We've exported it around the world, but now it's only still in use in Britain, and it, it affects one in five households across Britain, apparently, I read, which is incredible, I- if true. So it really is quite significant, and I think that although, you know, we've read reports this week that there's going to be an exemption for the royal family, and that's particularly because of the Duchy of Cornwall, which owns vast areas of land, I I do think it's, it's a problem. And I personally think they shouldn't have an exemption um, because they do need to um, move into the modern world, however painful that is. Angela, it does
0: seem that the Duchy of Cornwall doesn't have the best reputation with its tenants already. What do you think Prince Charles should do to keep trust and get or,
2: or gain trust? I think he has to understand it. It's difficult for the royal family to understand how ordinary people live because when they're in the palaces, however much they go out and see people, you don't get the gist of actually how people have to manage their money and their lives. And I hope that he will tell his... Um, colleagues or maybe not colleagues but the people who are involved in this to make sure that they do um, do what the the right thing and and agree with the law that's going through I I find it very baffling as to why they would get exception and I don't see why they should and I'm sure that um, Prince Charles would agree with that once he knows all the details and it's all been balanced out. We reached out to the Duchy of Cornwall for comment on this and this is what they had to say.
0: The Duchy of Cornwall takes great care to ensure that anyone purchasing a property where the freehold belongs to the Duchy is made completely aware of the restrictions that may apply. Let's lighten the mood for a moment. This Wednesday saw the Countess of Wessex joining that lockdown birthday brigade and she had some lovely wishes from the royal family as well as lots of her fans from the public as well. Angela, coming to you first, I mean, in the last year or so, Sophie Wessex has had a a lot more airtime. She's become a bit more of
2: a rising star. Do you agree? Oh, yes, very much so. It's as if she's been working very hard in the background and at last she's being appreciated. I mean, that's not her view, that's my view, that at last um, the Queen has always liked her. She's always sort of tried her best to fit in. She even learned how to ride a horse so that she could go riding with the queen. She goes to church with her. They, they really enjoy each other's company and they see um, a lot of her. And I think that she's tried, particularly in this pandemic, To do as much as she can quietly. She's not someone who goes somewhere and then says, you know, didn't I make an inspirational speech? Or um, I'm so generous with my thoughts and I think you've all done terribly well in a patronizing way. She just quietly, she's made food, she's packed. Food packs she's gone round to see people, and I think she's you know she's smartened her act some years ago. She looks very smart now she's got her own dress style which um, shouldn't matter but does and um I think she's she's much more appreciated and she will neatly step into Harry's absence. Uh, it won't be the same, of course, by any means she hasn't got his charisma, but she's got dedication and she cares and she's easygoing. she doesn't make a fuss about things. Hmm.
0: Rebecca then Angela touched on Harry there now do you think that this is any kind of calculation on the part of the palace that we've seen more of Sophie now that a certain couple have stepped away from um, their working roles?
1: I wouldn't say they would see it as a calculation but they definitely see it as an opportunity for her star to shine and I mean rightly so she's been doing some really powerful work behind the scenes for a long time, particularly over um, sexual violence against women in conflict. I've been to quite a few engagements with her on that issue. And, um, I, I, you know, she, she brings a lot to the table. And, I mean, as Angela touched upon, she is an incredibly, an incredible source of comfort and support to the Queen and also actually to the Duchess of Cambridge they've developed a really good friendship there which I think is something that will stand uh, Kate in great stead obviously moving forward as a future Princess of Wales and then as a future Queen and I think um,
2: Sophie will be there as a really kind of small still voice of calm. If uh, Prince Charles or someone else is doing, um, going to a place where there's a load of people, she comes along and helps. It's not always reported, is it, Rebecca? But she just goes along there and and shakes hands. I remember going to Buckingham Palace for frontline staff, um, a a drink for all of them um, before the pandemic. And there were 550 people there. Prince Charles wanted to go around to everyone. He realized he couldn't. So at the last minute, Sophie comes in and goes around chatting to lots of groups as well very, very quietly. She didn't need all the things in the papers of where she was there and what she was worn, what she was wearing. She, she just was there to help out. Well,
0: I'm going to ask a very rude question on the back of that. Um, Richard, if you turned up to the palace because you were excited to meet Prince William or Prince Charles and they said, actually, he's, don't worry, we've got Sophie Wessex. Do you think that's, that's filling that same void? Do you think people are excited by her star power?
3: Oh, well, look, um, Sophie has been described as the royal family's secret weapon. And I, I think maybe she shouldn't be so secret anymore. You know, we do want to hear a bit more from her uh, and with Edward as well. I mean, look, the, the Queen kindly handed over her patronage of the Royal National Theatre to Meghan. And then she probably moved to America and did absolutely nothing for the theatre. You know, why not hand that to Prince Edward? who, my goodness, you know, he used to actually work for Andrew Lloyd Webber. He, he'd love it. He'd be fantastic. And so would Sophie, who, you know, used to come from a PR background. I think she really is not used as much as she should be.
0: Well, sadly that's all we've got time for today. Boy, oh, don't, those royals pack a lot into any one week. We will be back same time, same place next week to give you all the latest royal news and insights right here at Palace Confidential on Mail Plus. Bye-bye.